the Post Buzzer Podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Dyer, and on this February 21st episode, I will talk to you about a wide range of sports stories that are going on, including updates on the Georgia Highlands athletic teams. This is a reminder that the Student Spin Podcast is a sister media to the Six Mile Post newspaper at Georgia Highlands College in Rome, Georgia. The views in this podcast do not represent those of the Six Mile Post or Georgia Highlands College. Listen to us on SoundCloud or through the Six Mile Post website or wherever you listen to your podcasts. We want to start off today's show by congratulating the women's basketball team for clinching home field advantage and winning the regular season GCAA title with a 26-2 record. They're currently tied for the longest winning streak in the NJCAA this season, sitting at 24 games won in a row. And they currently sit at number three in the NJCAA polls and are currently favorites to win the GCAA tournament that takes place next weekend. The men's basketball team will play Gordon State College on Wednesday with a chance to clinch home field advantage in the GCAA playoffs. And Georgia Highlands baseball has started, and the baseball team's off to a pretty good start right now. They're starting off 14-0, and which is completely unheard of. And the softball team is trying to find their ground as they start the season 4-10. and Now, last week we talked about the Super Bowl, and I kind of went over my predictions for it and all the matchups to watch. And an update on that is the Rams have won Super Bowl 56-23-20 over the Cincinnati Bengals with Cooper Cup winning the MVP, who had eight catches for 92 yards. And again, in the matchup I said that was going to determine this game was how the Rams' defensive line would be able to kind of dominate the Bengals' offensive line. And that proved to be the case in the Super Bowl as the Rams finished with seven sacks in the game. Aaron Donald got two, and Von Miller added another two. And Donald almost got three on that last play that the Bengals ran, but got to Joe Burrow just before the game, just before he let go of the ball, which forced the incompletion. And Aaron Donald and the Rams now get to say that they have a Super Bowl ring under their belt. And that game, it kind of proved to me that defensive lines matter way more in today's league than we really think they do. Both of these defensive lines were really good in the game. Both teams played really well stopping the run and everything like that. And, of course, there was a combined nine sacks in the game. So... As a Bengals fan, though, I I would still take this as optimism going into next season just because you wasn't even supposed to be here in the first place, in my opinion. But you found a way to keep on getting it done, and I think that the Bengals could find themselves right here again next season. And moving on to the MLB player lockout. Now, for those people that don't know what is really the lockout is about or why it's happening, Basically, I'm going to explain what's going on in a nutshell. What's happening is the owners and players, every five years, they come up with a new CBA or collective bargaining. And what that means is that they come up with a new set of rules to play by, new salaries for players, and all this other like good stuff like that. And what wound up happening was December 2nd was their deadline to come up with a plan for all of this for this upcoming season. And neither team came up with a plan as to what was going to happen. They couldn't come to an agreement. So now, almost three months later, baseball fans are still 
waiting for the offseason to even begin. No one's been able to sign players. No one's been able to go and re-sign players, trade players, anything like that. Just because the league's on a like league-wide legit like lockout, where it's already ran into spring training, the um, preseason games that usually take place, they've already had to cancel some of those. And opening day, which is set on April first, is pretty much in jeopardy at this point right now. And to give you an update on how those two or how those two sides are coming to an agreement is last I heard Thursday they met for 15 minutes and tensions boiled over to where both the players and the owners had to leave so that's kind of a indication on how far apart both of these people are in terms of who gets what and the other thing is that they've already came up with the conclusion of expanding the designated hitter rule into the National League, which means now it's a universal thing in the MLB. So now I, I personally like that just because I don't want to see a pitcher come up in a game-clinching moment and strike out because that's not what that's not what baseball is about. It's about putting your best player up there to give you the best advantage going forward in the game. And, I mean, it's a, to me, it's a shame that the two sides won't really work together. Like, I understand where both of the sides are really coming from on things. The only thing that I've heard of, I don't know if it's true or not, but there's been reports of the players asking the owners to basically raise the minimum amount the MLB players get made that way the people even at the bottom and even through the minors get paid well well the owners basically didn't like that and what wound up happening is the owners tried to pitch an idea of saying yeah we'll up everybody's cost in the MLB and the minimum salary but what we're going to do is we're not going to pay minor league players and that was instantly a red flag to the players and it should be a red flag to really anybody that likes baseball because minor league players are already severely and grossly underpaid as it is and moving on to nba news uh philadelphia i don't know if you've seen robbed the nets in the james harden ben simmons trade you go through and look at that trade with the players involved philadelphia got james harden whereas the nets got ben simmons seth curry the two big players that they got from that trade and out of every team that Ben Simmons could have gone to throughout all of this this was the team that I think he could have been the most successful on because I still think he's a superstar player and everybody has this bad rap on him saying he can't shoot free throws he can't shoot threes but in basically every other aspect of this game he pretty much has a good game and now with him going to the nets i feel like there was a whole lot of i feel like there was a whole lot of tension on him to be the star player in philadelphia where him and him and uh, joel Embiid was fighting with each other to try and be that top guy in philadelphia well now ben simmons doesn't really need to put that kind of pressure on himself because he has Kevin Durant 
and Seth Curry, Joe Harris, all right there with him. So he has people around him that can score. So they don't necessarily need him to be productive on the offensive end in terms of scoring or anything like that. And that's exactly the situation that Ben Simmons needed to step into because it was obvious that Ben Simmons really wasn't going to want to change his offensive game or work on it a good bit. And so why not go to a team that already has the offensive firepower? They just need a defender that can really switch around on players, which Ben Simmons is probably the most versatile player in the NBA right now. He can guard the one through five positions better than anybody that I've seen in the NBA except for maybe Giannis. And on the other side of this, I hated this trade for the 76ers because they bring in one of the most cancerous players in the NBA that I think is in the league right now in James Harden. He does nothing but complain anywhere he goes. He's a super selfish player. He's, I hate to use the word, but he's just, the reason that he gets stats is because he's a stat patter. It's just not going to work in Philadelphia for him, I feel. And getting rid of your best shooter in Seth Curry, really, I think is really going to hurt the 76ers in the long run. Whereas now, I don't even think that they could make the playoffs right now moving forward. Because that team, it doesn't have depth. It was very top-heavy in the first place with Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. And now, it's like we're... Nothing's going to mesh together the way that they think it's going to. Yeah, they brought in somebody who can score, which they needed somebody who could score. But James Harden is the wrong player to be looking for that in because he can also be super selfish. And now you look at these teams in the East right here in the standings. We have the Heat in first, Bulls, 76ers, Cavs, Bucks, Celtics, Raptors, Nets, Hornets, and Hawks all kind of vying for these playoff spots. If the playoffs started today, those would be the 10 teams that made it in the Eastern Conference. The Hawks are sitting right there on the edge trying to hold on to their playoff spot in these last 15 games. I'm trying to fend off the Wizards, Knicks, and Pacers who are right there with them trying to move into that elimination game status. And I don't think there'll be too many movements in the East, except for maybe the Wizards get above the Hawks in that 10 seed. But I think other than that, there's not going to be a whole lot of difference once the final standings are brought out, except for the 76ers are going to be way lower than the third seed just because of this Ben Simmons, James Harden trade that I was just talking about. But on the East, on the West side, we have... The Suns in first, then the Warriors, Grizzlies, Jazz, Mavericks, Nuggets, Timberwolves, Clippers, Lakers, and Trailblazers. And I think the Grizzlies might be the best team story this season. They've become a real fan favorite. And John Morant's really emerged himself as one of those top players in the NBA. think that you can say that you don't like the Grizzlies. I don't, I don't imagine a scenario that anybody doesn't like them right now. Just because they're a good underdog story, nobody really expected them to be where they are right now. Same thing goes for the East with the Bulls. There's an updated standings for the NBA right now. Which, with the playoffs looming, I really think that the Nets and the Bucks in the East are the two teams to beat. And it's going to be fun watching them face each other again. 
in the playoffs this season. Whereas the West, the West I think is more wide open. I could see anybody in that top five or six winning. Like the Nuggets are the sixth seed and they have an MVP candidate in their team with Jokic, who won it last year, may be able to repeat this year if the Nuggets finish the season off really good. Um, I don't really think anybody outside in the West is going to move into the playoff spot outside of the 10, just because you look at them and it's Spurs, Pelicans, Kings, Thunder, and that's... I don't think either of those teams are really going to be able to catch up to the Trailblazers, who hold a two game lead over the Spurs. So it's already looking down for those teams and I don't I can't imagine that it'd get any better than it is. Now a dark horse in the West might wind up being the Timberwolves. I really like the Timberwolves. I like Carl Anthony Towns, Anthony Edwards, and everything they have going on over there. It's a good feel good story for the West, along with the Suns and the Warriors and the Grizzlies. I do think the West right now is a much better conference throughout. And we have the news that the college football playoff committee won't be able to expand until at least 2025, which is another three years. So for you guys that want to see the playoffs expand, I'm not one of those. I don't understand the playoffs expanding too much. I could see possibly them moving into six people. But that, that should be the limit just because it takes away one of the things that I love about college football, which is you have to go out and you have to win every single game every single week. And if you can't do that, then you don't, you're don't you not going to be able to win in a national championship at the collegiate level. And, I mean, I think that's something that you see with the NBA, the MLB, and even the NFL that you can still lose a handful of games and – Say, it's okay that you made those mistakes and we're still going to send you here. Whereas college football, all it takes is one loss for you not to be able to make it. So there's really a drive of you have to win every single week in college football. And it's something that I really love about the mentality of it. Um, people that want the playoff expanded to 16, let me give you a brief run through of what the playoffs would have looked like this year if we would have had 16 teams. We would have had number one Alabama against number 16 Oklahoma. Anybody think Oklahoma would have beat Alabama in that? Michigan-Iowa, I think it would have been a good game. Michigan had the head-to-head to win over them this year. Georgia-Oregon, Georgia wins by a landslide. Cincinnati-BYU, Cincinnati would have won that one by a landslide. Pittsburgh-Notre Dame, that one would have been a good game. Ohio State-Utah. We already seen that one with Ohio State winning in the Rose Bowl. Baylor, Michigan State wouldn't have been a good one. Ole Miss and Oklahoma State would have been an all right one. But my question to you guys is name a team aside from Alabama and Georgia that would have been able to hold themselves against those two teams. Now, I completely understand people making the argument that, hey, it's not fair that some of these teams don't get in like the whole Cincinnati thing this season. With everybody saying Cincinnati deserves a chance this year, they went undefeated and all this other stuff, but then they got the opportunity to really show themselves and they lost to Alabama. Probably the worst Alabama team that we've seen since Nick Saban arrived there in 2007. Now, there's not a team outside of Alabama or Georgia that could have beat them. 
Like they were the clear favorites of one and two. And I fear that if we move up to 16 games, we we get these more interesting games, but we're not going to get different out. I still think that Alabama and Georgia would have met in the national championship. And every year there's really these two or three teams that separate themselves from the rest of the pack, whether that be Clemson, Georgia, Ohio State, Alabama, those teams like that. They're on a completely different level than everybody else, pretty much. And if we move to 16, it's like, yeah, we have more teams that have an opportunity, but it's going to be the same result over and over and over again with these top two or three teams where you're going to know who's going to go into it once the playoffs start. And I just think that it's a waste of time, and I like the bowl system that we have now. So I'm not in favor of expanding the playoffs. I could maybe see six just because I think Ohio State had the best chance to beat either Georgia or Alabama this season. So that if they would have moved to six, it would have put them in there. But, I, again, it's those three teams at the very top. And now we have the whole Aaron Rodgers situation in the NFL which every year we have these kind of situations where a veteran quarterback wants to leave the team that they're in or a team that they feel they could do better on or they're not going to pay them as much as they'd like or anything like that. And if I'm the NFC, I am begging Aaron Rodgers to stay, at least within the NFC. Like go to San Francisco, go somewhere where you don't have to cross into the AFC. Because you look at the future of quarterbacks in this league, Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert, Lamar Jackson. If Aaron Rodgers winds up going to Denver, that's six quarterbacks right there that are Rodgers is in his prime. And then the rest of these guys, we're just waiting for them to hit their prime, and that's going to be the future of the NFL when it comes to the quarterback position. There's not another quarterback prospect outside of Archie Manning is probably going to be the next quarterback that gets taken in the top three draft. So the future for quarterbacks don't look well, and the NFC really hasn't done a good job of trying to maintain quarterbacks in their conference. And if Aaron Rodgers leaves... Tom Brady already left. Ooh, who's going to take that spot? Is it, it going to be Russell Wilson, who's looked inconsistent last year with the Seahawks and has dealt with injuries time and time and time again? Or Matthew Stafford might wind up being the best quarterback in the NFC if both of them two leave. And it's a shame. It's The AFC is so top-heavy when it comes to quarterbacks right now that I'm really worried about how the NFC is going to compete with them going forward. The only young quarterback that's gotten a deal that's going to be on his team for at least a good amount of time is Dak Prescott. The only real veteran quarterbacks in the NFC are Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, and Matt Ryan, who I hate to say it, but is about to become a top-five quarterback in the NFC now with Brady gone. And I really don't like it when there's that big disparity gap between conferences because it kind of takes away – some of the feel-good from Super Bowls. Now, this past Super Bowl was probably a fan-favorite Super Bowl. There wasn't a whole lot of people I seen complaining about the Bengals. There wasn't a whole lot of people I seen complaining about the Rams. But if the, if the 49ers would have went to the Super Bowl, would anyone would have liked to see that quarterback matchup of Joe Burrow and Jimmy Garoppolo? And furthermore, Aaron Rodgers leaves the NFC and leaves the Packers. The Packers aren't going to be nowhere near 
playoff ready with Jordan Love sitting behind them. You have Jimmy Garoppolo with the 49ers, who's also looking for another team. So you have three of the four teams that just made the divisional round looking for new quarterbacks. And it's going to be Jordan Love in Green Bay, and it's going to be Trey Lance in San Francisco. The top five destinations that I have for Aaron Rodgers to go to is going to be, I think the Broncos have the best package that they could offer the Packers out of any team that could sign Aaron Rodgers. Just because if they add a quarterback to that team, they're going to be one of the Super Bowl favorites right away because they have all these built-up assets around the quarterback. And they have draft picks to give up to the Packers. That way they can bring in Aaron Rodgers. The 49ers, who, as I've already said, Jimmy Garoppolo is kind of getting out of it. 49ers are trying to capitalize with all their young players that they aren't going to be able to re-sign here in about two or three years. They're going to try and get them their Super Bowl ring sooner rather than later. And so that's why I think uh, Aaron Rodgers fits in well with San Francisco. I think him and Debo Samuel can make a really good wide receiver quarterback duo. The Buccaneers might make a run for him just because they have a whole lot of players around the quarterback position that they could send to the Packers that the Packers really need. And there's going to be an immediate need for quarterback there as well because they just won one with Tom Brady last season or two seasons ago. So they've seen that all they need around them is a good quarterback and that's it. And I think that Aaron Rodgers will really love working in that Bruce Arians offense who is one of the best quarterback-minded coaches in the NFL today, if not NFL history. And I think that Aaron Rodgers would absolutely just flourish down there in Tampa if he was able to make his way down there. The Dolphins have the most cap of any team right now, so they'll be looking to bring in a whole lot of players in the offseason, including probably a star quarterback, just because they almost made the playoffs last year, and they were one of the hottest teams in the second half of the year. So if they want to get rid of Tua, which they already expressed that they do want to, bring in Aaron Rodgers, you immediately have that Devontae Parker and Jalen Waddle, and then Miles Gaskin has proved to be a good receiving back. You just need a quarterback in place in Miami that will be able to make the right decisions. And there's not going to be a better quarterback to do that than Aaron Rodgers for the Dolphins. And last on my list that I have them going to is the Steelers. Now, the Steelers, they're getting, with Big Ben retiring, the Steelers are creating a whole lot of cap space. And how they use that cap space is going to be crucial towards how that team is built in the future this offseason. Because... Juju Smith-Schuster's contract is up this year, and he's wanting to go to a different team. And if they go to the, he goes if he goes to a different team, the Steelers don't have anybody at receiver except for Chase Claypool, who's a decent receiver. He still has some growing to do, but they're not going to have a receiver. They don't have a good running game. Their offensive line isn't that good. They're really heavily relied on their defense, and I think that if they can bring in Aaron Rodgers then that will do wonders for the Steelers going forward. It'll be able to let them bring in a lot of free agents in the offseason. It'll make them a whole lot more desirable than they have been in recent years. That's all we have time for today on the Post Buzzer Podcast. I want to thank you for listening today. 
and be sure to listen to us on SoundCloud or the Six Mile Post website. And I'll see you guys next week.